Major Lindsay and Africa presents Bouncing Back, conversations about resilience for lawyers. Welcome to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. This podcast is brought to you by Major Lindsay and Africa, the global leader in legal search and consulting. I'm your host, Rebecca Glatzer. I'm a managing director in the associate practice group at Major Lindsay and Africa. In this podcast, I'll speak to successful professionals about the hiccups, bumps, bruises, and setbacks they've experienced in their careers and personal lives, and how they ultimately bounce back from those experiences to thrive. Today, my guest is Justice Shauna Baker. Justice Baker is a Cherokee Nation Supreme Court Justice, a distinguished alumna in residence at the University of Tulsa College of Law, the Managing Attorney of Family Legacy and Wealth Council, PLLC, and a trustee for, of Oklahomans for Equality. Justice Baker was nominated to the Cherokee Nation Supreme Court by Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. and confirmed by a vote of the Tribal Council on August 27, 2020. She is the first member of the Two-Spirit Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer, queer Plus community and the only third woman ever confirmed to the Cherokee Nation Supreme Court. Justice Baker's first written opinion on the court was In Re, Effect of Cherokee Nation versus Nash and Van V. Zinka, published on February 22, 2021, wherein the Cherokee Nation Supreme Court unanimously held that any by-blood citizenship references found in the 1999 Cherokee Nation Constitution, Cherokee Nation Tribal Code, and or accompanying rules, regulations, policies, or procedures were void ab initio per the, the 1866 treaty between the United States and the Cherokee Nation. This groundbreaking decision grants full rights of citizenship to Cherokee freedmen descendants. In addition to serving on the Supreme Court, Justice Baker currently serves on the Cherokee Nation's Domestic Violence Task Force and as an advisor to Cherokee Nation Health Services on its Ending the HIV Epidemic Project. Prior to her appointment to the Supreme Court, Justice Baker served as a Cherokee Nation Gaming Commissioner. Nationally, Justice Baker serves on the Indian Health Services and the Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board's Native Ending the HIV Epidemic Advisory Committee. She is a frequent guest speaker and legal panelist on topics of diversity and the author of scholarly articles on the intersectionality of LGBT rights and estate planning. On an international level, Yahoo Finance has recognized Justice Baker as an outstanding LGBT plus top 100 role model for two years running. Justice Baker, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. Well, I'm excited to have you here. Um, you are the first member of the Two-Spirit Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer Plus community, and the only third woman ever confirmed to the Cherokee Nation Supreme Court. However, um, as we discussed in a prior conversation, your rise to the court was uh, a little bit bumpy. Can you tell me more about that experience? Yes, my uh, rise to the court began in in uh, 2018. Uh, at the time, we had a chief named Bill John Baker, and Chief Baker appointed me uh, to be his nominee for a replacement position. Unfortunately, our second female on the bench, uh, Justice Angela Jones, had passed away and her seat was vacant. So Chief Baker nominated me uh, 
to fill her seat for the remainder of her term. And just as an aside, the Cherokee Nation Supreme Court justices sit for a 10-year term in the event that someone either resigns or uh, they vacate their seat due perhaps to death. The remaining years of their term are then filled by the next appointment. Um, so the next appointment uh, would not receive a full 10-year term. They would just basically finish out the remainder of the original appointee's term. So uh, in 2018, I was I was nominated to the Supreme Court, and uh, we made it through the equivalent of, uh, when you think of Supreme Court justice hearings, the Cherokee Nation has something similar. So our legislative branch is called the Tribal Council. The Tribal Council is only one house of legislators. Uh, but uh, anyhow, we have 17 members that serve on it, so 15 that represent uh, districts within the reservation, and then we have two members of the Tribal Council that represent what we call the at-large community, so all individuals that live outside of the reservation. So those 17 members come together, and they have a hearing, uh, very again, very similar to Supreme Court hearings uh, for the United States, where we have Senate hearings. These hearings are called uh, rules committee hearings. And uh, so anyhow, I made it through rules committee with a, a vote. It was a, a very grueling uh, question and answer session for an hour or, or maybe slightly longer. Um, but unfortunately, uh, prior to confirmation, which was going to take place a couple of weeks later at a meeting known as the Tribal Council meeting for the month, uh, where again, the same 17 members that were on the Rules Committee uh, would come together and they would vote on all matters and, and finalize them into law for the uh, Cherokee Nation. So prior uh, to the Tribal Council meeting, uh, we received word that my nomination was was getting a little shaky, and uh, unfortunately, at the time of uh, the uh, tribal council meeting, I was remanded back to rules rather than voted on, and I basically, uh, you know, died, if you will, a, a peaceful death, or my nomination did. And so, uh, shortly thereafter, we had elections in the Cherokee Nation. And uh, we have a new chief, Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. And Chief Hoskin uh, had a vacancy on the Cherokee Nation Gaming Commission. At that point in time, he asked me if I would be willing to serve. And of course, I said yes. And uh, so fortunately, uh, the tribal council members, again, we went through rules and then we went through tribal council. Uh, they confirmed me to the Gaming Commission. And after about a year, on the gaming commission, uh, slightly less actually, uh, we had sadly another member of our court that passed away. And uh, Chief Hoskin asked me if I would be willing to uh, be his nominee to fill the vacancy. And once again, I said, yes, I would, uh, you know, be delighted. I, at that point in time, of course, knew what the worst case scenario would look like uh, and was hopeful for a positive outcome. And uh, so anyhow, we did it for the third time going through rules and then through tribal council. And uh, fortunately, uh, again, I was confirmed and uh, began my service on the court. So it uh, took a while to get there. But, you know, as yes. we've always taught, perseverance pays off. Indeed, indeed. And when we talked the last time, you know, you gave me sort of this <clears throat> litany of reasons as to <laughs> kind of what you thought was going on either directly or behind the scenes, um, you know, in that first bid to uh, our opportunity to get on the court. You know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, it sounded like some of the folks that 
did not vote in favor of your concerned because you left the reservation you grew up on and then to left to you know, for the education um you know I, I, i'm curious how you sort of felt about that um you know and, and some of the other things kind of um brought to the forefront when 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 you were not successfully um nominated the first time yeah so those are good points i was surprised, uh, it, you know, and, and perhaps it was just being naive um, at the concerns that the tribal counselors raised in the initial um, nomination proceedings. So some of the concerns that they had, one individual uh, said, you know, you haven't really served at the nation as an adult. You um, you haven't served on a, a committee. You haven't served, you know, in a volunteer fashion. You haven't served in any other way. And you're basically returning to the reservation to serve, but you're coming in to serve in, in you know, one of the highest offices uh, within the tribe. And, and to them, that seemed, you know, it, it gave them pause. Uh, other individuals had issues that they raised that, uh, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma. I attended undergrad in Arkansas, uh, graduate school for, for law in, in Tulsa. But then I left. I went to New York. I received a, an LLM from Columbia, and then I moved to Florida before kind of making my way back. And and uh, when I did come back to Oklahoma, I started commuting back and forth to, to New York again to get a second degree uh, from NYU in uh, an LLM in tax. And so, again, I wasn't engaged with the tribe for a number of years. And during that spell, when I was in New York and Florida, there had been an election in which I did not vote as an absentee voter. And so one of the tribal counselors, you know, he raised that issue that, you know, uh, voting is an important part of citizenship and that, you know, I had not fulfilled that duty. And, and he was right. I hadn't. I mean, we keep very good voting records and, and I knew that I had not. And and he was correct. And, you know, there were some other concerns that, you know, were raised and, Ultimately, as the chief, uh, you know, Chief Hoskins so eloquently stated in my in my second nomination to the court, it's the it's the chief's job to nominate, and it's the tribal council's job to confirm. Um, there is no doubt that anytime somebody has left the reservation for an education to better themselves, I think everybody within the tribe is delighted and supportive and happy. Um, but it does disconnect you uh, for a while, and then you kind of have to, you know, reintroduce yourself as an adult and and come back and and allow people to get to know you. You know, who they knew as a child may not be who you are as an adult. And and uh, so anyway, you know, I I took that opportunity to answer the questions or the fears that were brought to the table, and to you know, hopefully. Um, put them to the side and, and to, you know, let the tribal counselors know that there was no reason to have those concerns uh, by going about, you know, just the normal course of business. And, and uh, that was, you know, taking sort of this um, fall gracefully. It was stepping back up and offering to uh, come in and to serve the tribe in another role. And that was on the gaming commission. And it was, uh, you know, continuing service in that capacity, giving my best every single day. And then ultimately, when the time came to be nominated for the second time, 
again, saying yes and coming back and, and, you know, addressing those questions. Fortunately, as I shared with you before, there had been a, an, an election, a general election. So we had cast votes for chief and a number of the tribal council positions. Uh, I'd voted in that. So although it wasn't a, a lengthy record of voting, I was able to go back to the tribal counselor that raised that concern and say to him, you know, look, I did vote in this last election. I am serving uh, for those that were concerned that I hadn't served in other roles. You know, I'm coming back and, and um, you know, I listened um, and, and now I'm, I'm wanting to check those boxes because it's important to me that I truly serve. Um, this wasn't just about the court. It's, it's about more for me than that. And I hope that my actions in the, you know, the meantime have demonstrated, uh, you know, the content of my character, if you will. And, um, you know, my, my true desire to serve the nation. Absolutely. No, absolutely. It's just a great story and um, trying to, prove your mettle, so to speak, um, and, and then it worked out, you know, the second time. I'm curious how that experience, and um, if, if I'm correct, you were already openly out um, uh, before running, and I was curious how, you know, that experience of not getting it the first time and the experience of, you know, being um, openly LGBTQ um, informs the work that you do on the court. Well, I think the Nash opinion, which you uh, discussed in the introduction uh, today in my bio, is an example of where my experience as a lesbian woman comes into play. Uh, you know, I have navigated through life and I have always checked three boxes in a way for employers or uh, academic institutions or other people who sort of keep track of of, um, you know, numbers when it comes to how many women are, you know, in a class or how many women are being hired for a position at a law firm. Uh, you know, are you uh, someone who is, uh, you know, Native American or uh, some other sort of, you know, uh, do you have an identity of another racial character? You know, I've always checked the box of American Indian because I am both Cherokee and Creek. And I, um, you know, as I aged and learned that I was, you know, uh, gay, I, you know, then began to check sort of the box of the LGBT community. So when you, when you have gone through life and you have been out, um, you know, you have had then opportunities to, um, witness people's responses to the fact that, oh, we liked you. We think everything's great. Um, you know, you're wonderful. Oh, but then we find out you're gay and now we dislike you um, for no other reason. So, you know, you you start to navigate the world a little bit differently and, and you have an insight into um, how it must be for other individuals. You know, I have the benefit, um, I think it, uh, there was a, a book years ago called Covering, um, you know, as a Visually speaking, I'm I'm very white in appearance, and and uh, you know people see me as a white person, not necessarily as a Native American, and so I know that you know sadly in the world there's some privilege that comes with that, and we are in a situation where uh, unless I choose to reveal my lesbian identity, um, most people wouldn't know that. So although I'm lesbian and I don't feel like in any way, shape or form that that is a choice, whether or not I disclose that certainly is. 
And I did make that decision very on to disclose that. But but for individuals, uh, you know, who are um, members of our um, tribe that are freedmen, so freedmen are descendants of uh, the slaves that the Cherokees once held. Um, most of the five tribes uh, had slaves before they were removed uh, on the Trail of Tears. And so when they, they were removed, they brought their slaves with them. And um, so, the, you know, the freedmen are, are distinct uh, by the color of their skin. And, uh, you know, they felt, uh, you know, some discrimination for a long time without a doubt. And certainly there were words written into our Constitution that they couldn't run for office uh, unless you were Cherokee by blood. Um, and although, you know, that is a historical um, it is a it is a historical fact that we um, have in fact discriminated. You know, it is something that when given the opportunity to visit, uh, we had a uh, tribal council. vote back in, I believe, 2008 or 2009, where the Tribal Council agreed to waive sovereign immunity and go before the federal courts um, to hear the issue of whether the 1866 treaty, in fact, granted full citizenship and, and, and really whether or not that article um, of our treaty was, was still in place or had somehow had it been sort of abridged, if you will. And um, we agreed to be bound by the decision of a federal court. So when that federal court reached its decision, the tribe didn't really, you know, begin to alter or correct course. Things just can kind of continued as they were. Um, there wasn't, you know, a, a change by the tribal council, the legislative branch to draft new legislation to, you know, amend the statutes and, and to withdraw that language or to do other things in the code and so forth. Um, there was certainly not a call for a constitutional convention to, you know, change the Constitution or an amendment or anything like that. So years later, you know, when Nash reappears shortly after my, um, you know, joining of the court, it was an opportunity for me to step forward and say, you know what, I know that I haven't been discriminated against in the same way. But I do understand what it feels like to be discriminated against um, for something that, you know, you have nothing to do with. And, and it really has no meaning as far as, uh, you know, the quality of your person and your humanity and, uh, you know, our equality amongst uh, people. So, you know, I offered to write the opinion and uh, my colleagues were kind and gracious in allowing me to draft the same. And, and uh, so in that opinion, it was important to me to, you know, show and to demonstrate that, uh, you know, this was um, something that was, uh, the citizenship was, was there, it was denied, and, you know, to continue to allow things that are uh, referencing statements like, you know, you have to be by blood, that, you know, we need to call those words out for what they are. And that was, you know, uh, you know, being nothing more than being racist and, and that that's not going to be, uh, you know, tolerated. And uh, fortunately, the, uh, you know, the treaty gave us uh, the 
foundation to stand upon in order to make that decision. And, uh, you know, we, uh, in going through the the logic and the reasoning, uh, the opinion concludes, as you stated in, again, your opening, that everything was void ab initio. So, you know, as a legislative branch, its job is to draft the laws. And as a judicial branch, our job is to interpret them. Um, so you would not expect uh, to see a judicial opinion that, in theory, amends the Constitution. Uh, so we, we can't amend. That's not within our powers. But if something was never valid to begin with, then you aren't amending something. You are simply saying, you know, that never existed. And so that's how that opinion came down. And, and uh, you know, it is a distinction that a lot of people have a difficult time understanding. And, and I do appreciate that. Um, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the decision to treat all members of the tribe equally uh, is the right one. And it is... Um, one that I'm very proud to have been a small part of. Yeah, and uh, I, I, one, thank you for that, and two, uh, writing a wrong, if you will. I talking to you about this the first time we spoke, um, kind of blew my hair back a little bit because it's like an example once again of like things that you should know, um, that things you should learn from your history book um, as an American, uh, you know, who's in this country and yet um knowing that indigenous folk had slaves and brought their slaves across the country as they traveled west um was something i did that now and then furthermore that you know it was not on my radar screen it's you know it, that's that's my privilege um to know that there was this distinction <clears throat> being made between the descendants of indigenous folk and the descendants of these slaves that came with. Um, and that's essentially what the Nash case is about. Um, you know, I think it's interesting, number one, that the tribe waived sovereign immunity and kind of gave, you know, uh, option to the courts, the federal courts, to, to make this decision. I mean, to me, it's sort of an an example of, you know, we're fighting amongst ourselves and we can't come to a decision. So perhaps someone else um, should make this decision for us, which I think is fascinating in and of itself. And then, you know, once the decision came down that, yes, these descendants of slaves should be treated as all, you know, indigenous folk, regardless of, you know, what their bloodline, um, then, of course, it wasn't being enforced. Um, and, and it's in it. It caused a lot of consternation and, um, you know, discord um, and within the tribe. All of this was very educational for me. And for the listening audience, um, a justice got a lot of flack for this decision. Um, my understanding is a unanimous opinion. Is that correct? Yes, it was a unanimous opinion. So we have five members on the court. So it was a 5-0 opinion. Um, but you seem to be, you know, you got a lot of the vitriol, um, you know, by, partially, I think, by being the author of the opinion. Um, but I would I, I, I imagine, you know, being as only woman, um, you know, the only, you know, LGBTQ, openly LGBTQ, um, you know, slash two spirit individual on the court. Um, you're 
probably made for an easy punching bag as well. And I, I was wondering how you, you know, how did you process that? Well, I, I think that we know from history that, you know, there is, there is nothing easy uh, sometimes about doing the right thing, sadly. And, and uh, you know, in this opinion, again, it, as you said, it was unanimous. It was a 5-0 opinion. There are five members of the court. We are, uh, as people, uh, you know, right now dealing with a lot of um, opportunities for uh, comments and, and uh, you know, just sort of static to come at us through social media or through, um, you know, comments uh, that are being waged in public and, and so forth. And, and you're right, I think, because I did draft the opinion, it made me an easy target. And there were certainly a number of people uh, in, you know, Facebook communities and or just blatantly on their own pages, uh, you know, saying, in essence, this is what happens when you put a, uh, you know, a lesbian uh, on the court. Uh, what else, what else would you expect? Uh, but again, they they failed to understand that this was a five zero opinion, and and I was joined by by four other men, and and uh, you know I think we just have to kind of think about like Brene Brown and so forth, and the man in the arena. You know, you just have to um, learn how to process the negativity uh, and sort of discard it kind of like you know water off of a duck's back so you know you need to listen to it to a certain amount to say are you know am I being critiqued on something that is um you know worthy to, to listen to or is this nothing but you know basically some ignorance that's coming at me from uh you know people that are just simply wanting to discriminate or is this um you know someone attacking me for reasons that have nothing to do with, with either my qualifications or, you know, the work that was drafted in general. I mean, if someone had said, you know, I want to critique the opinion because her editing skills are poor, then I would want to listen to that one. Um, but, you know, on something else, you know, perhaps we want to learn how to discard that. So, you know, you really just have to cut through the noise. And, you know, I was um, very fortunate uh, to have a number of people in the community and some of these pockets who would step up and say, like, you know, I'm going to call you out. I'm going to call you out. That's homophobia right there. And, you know, that needs to stop. Or I'm going to call you out and that's sexist right there. And, you know, as a reminder, the Cherokee Nation is a matrilineal tribe. And, uh, you know, historically we have been led, uh, you know, and place a lot of uh, deference on on the leadership that the women provide. And, and this isn't going to be tolerated. So, you know, there were people who are my allies who care about me, who care about uh, the tribe that, you know, stepped up and, and, you know, again, kind of uh, carried some of that brunt for me and, uh, you know, shielded me a little bit. And I am, you know, eternally grateful for them. And, uh, you know, again, I think anytime you do the right thing, uh, you're always going to, you know, hear the naysayers and, and you just, you just have to drown it out. I, I love that reference to that um, Penny Roosevelt favorite. It's, the title of Brene Brown's um, book, uh, Daring Greatly. Um, there's, it's a very long quote, but the the gist of it is, you know, the person who's in the re- arena doing the thing um, is the one that is, you know, worth 
you know, whose efforts are, are worthwhile um, and who's daring greatly and trying and sweating and making mistakes and having shortcomings and that sort of thing. And the person who's outside of the arena just kind of um, giving their two cents, but not, isn't any, isn't actually sweating or doing any work, um, you know, is not the person that you should be paying attention to. I'm butchering this idea, but I, I like the quotes so, so much. And um, I, I think it's a great way to kind of shut out the noise, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes a great deal of resilience to do that, you know, um, especially when it's coming from your own people, you went away for a while, and then you came back, I'm sure there's like, some feelings of, you know, if I were in your shoes, I'd be like, gosh, you know, I'm trying to serve my community. I spent all this money and time and effort educating myself and passing the bar and doing this and doing that and flying back and forth between Oklahoma and New York to like, you know, make sure I have the education that I need to serve my community. And then I'm getting all this like backlash. Um, and I think it could be, you know, for a lesser person, it could be easy to feel a bit defeated. Uh, well, I will agree that from from time to time that, you know, there, there are moments where you have those feelings. But again, you just you just have to make your way through it. Um, yeah. Chief, Chief Mankiller uh, once had a quote and it said, the happiest people I've ever met, regardless of their profession, their social standing or their economic status are people that are fully engaged in the world around them. Uh, the most fulfilled people are the ones who get up every morning and stand for something larger than themselves. And they are the people who care about others who will extend a helping hand to someone in need or will speak up about an injustice when they see it. And, you know, I was very fortunate to uh, grow up in the on the reservation, the Cherokee Nation reservation, while Chief Mankiller was uh, chief all 10 years of of uh, her tenure as chief. And, you know, I think having a, a female leader, uh, a female chief when you are a child uh, and you look up to it and you think this is uh, basically normal. This is the way it's supposed to be. And you um, think I can, you know, I can achieve, I can attain, I can serve, I can do these things um, to help lead my tribe. And and as you get older, you begin to realize, uh, you know, how daring it must have been and how uh, much strength she must have had, you know, Chief Mankiller uh, this week was just honored. Uh, they released a, a quarter from the U.S. Mint uh, where she is, um, you know, stamped uh, on it and memorialized and, and uh, you know, will be basically in the hands of all American citizens at some point to, to think about her legacy when they look at those coins. And, and um, you know, it's just impactful to think about the people who have come before us and what it is that they have done and the the ceilings that they had to break and how hard that was for them. And if you kind of think about the difficulties and the challenges they likely had uh, when you then consider what it is that you're going through today, it doesn't seem near as difficult. I mean, when you think about your ancestors and and walking the trail of tears, you know, listening to some, you know, ugly comments on Facebook is certainly not anything in comparison, right? And um, so you just have to maintain perspective and you have to remember what it is um, that your commitment is to. And if the commitment is to serve the tribe, then you just simply keep on serving because it's, you know, it's just simply a small minority that is, you know, being loud at the moment. But the large majority of the tribe is essentially grateful and happy 
and, um, you know, doing better simply because they have your service. Not that they always agree with you, um, but, you know, the, the tribe as a whole is, um, you know, very collaborative as a community. And, um, you know, if everybody is contributing with the goal to make it better, then overall the tribe is going to rise. And, and I think that's what, um, you know, we all buy into. And so we all come to work every day and we roll up our sleeves and, and uh, you know, we do what needs to be done. No, that's great. All of this is wonderful. Well, just a speaker, thank you so much for giving me your time and sharing your experiences with our listeners today. I know they will find them valuable as I did. And um, I sincerely appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Rebecca. It was my pleasure to join you, and I look forward to visiting soon. Thank you for listening to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. Join us next time for another story about thriving after overcoming challenges. You can find Bouncing Back and other programming for lawyers on MLA's Legal Talk Network.